This is part two of the interview with John Johnson, identity architect and co-founder of a small studio. Okay, so the big shift. So let's let's talk about just the journey to. I mean, so we've we've basically gone from um, kind of walking onto the track team on. So maybe let's talk about pre undergrad or just um, right life. around that stage of life. Like what led you? Like when I was born? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it was May fifth, nineteen eighty eight. I don't, know what, I don't know what time it Starry was. Starry night in Cleveland. Yes. Blustery winds. <laughs> this beautiful sky, <laughs> wide open, full moon. Um, no. Yeah, so I... So originally from Cleveland. Born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, family of, of four. I'm the youngest of four. My mom was a single mother, raised all of us. Um... I never knew my father, um, so I was I was raised by a single mother and and my two sisters and my brother. Um, I'm the youngest by seven years actually to them. Um, mm-hmm. They actually have a have a different father than me, who my mom was married to, um, who's no longer, uh, who's died since, um, actually died before uh, I was born. So you know we're we're very close, small family, right? Um, Grew up on the west side of Cleveland, Ohio, more inner city, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we we grew up in a in a I want to say a, a poorer neighborhood. Um, you know, Cleveland in that time was was you know in the '90s was overrun with a lot of a lot of poverty, a lot of um, uh, a lot of violence. You know, we got Bone Thugs and Harmony mm-hmm. and. As much as anybody loves Bone Thugs and Harmony, a lot of their a lot of their um, music is about you know the '90s and mm-hmm. and you know the the growing up in the hood. Yeah. Right. So, I'd say that I grew up in the hood. Right. It wasn't the it wasn't the East 99 hood, but mm-hmm. it was the West 69th hood. And um, you know, I played in the streets with my friends. Uh, you know, part of me being a, a outlier again um, in my neighborhood, it was a it was an Italian neighborhood mm. where they would paint Italian flags um, on on the fire hydrants and the poles, and oh, yeah. they would have a big Italian festival over the over the summer, and yeah. and all my friends were Italian, yeah. right? I was I was the, the black kid on the street. Um, and all my all my friends were were white Italian with a big Italian family. They would do Sunday dinners all the time, and mm-hmm. and you know I loved them. Uh, they were my they were my friends, right? Yeah. Um, and we would get outside and play in the streets every day, right? Part of I'm just so happy to be a part of that generation. I'm sure you know about that. <laughs> yeah. uh, just you get out and play in the streets. You right. wake up in at. 6 a.m. on the weekends, you knock on your friend's door like, hey, let's go outside. We're going to play whatever we want to play that day. And it was, it was, a, great, it was a great place to grow up, mm-hmm. right? I could walk um, across the train tracks and, and um, go to the lake, right? It was right on Lake Erie. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, as a kid, it was awesome. Yeah. Um, as I started to grow up, you know, my... My brother, you know, was involved in uh, in gang in gang violence, and mm-hmm. and you know got started to lose 
lose himself in in the streets mm -hmm. um you know being a young black man in in cleveland ohio without a father mm -hmm. you know raised by a single mother and and uh you know sisters uh you know you tend to want to go out and find guidance or find something find an identity maybe mm -hmm. um and he was involved in in a gang uh in cleveland um ultimately when i was about 11 uh which was a big moment in my life uh, he he ended up um uh in a in a scuffle with a guy and and ended up pulling out a gun and and shooting him from across the park shooting at him and hit him and uh the guy ended up dying the next day mm -hmm. and um my brother turned himself in and he was 17 years old and um and he got sentenced to 18 years to life. And, you know, me being 11 at the time, you know, my, my two older sisters and my mom, you know, used that as, a, as an opportunity to protect me from going down that path of being a statistic, right, mm -hmm. for black man in America. Yeah. Um, because that happens to a lot of, a lot of us, right? Um, you know, he, he was 17. He was trialed as an adult, and um, you know it was a it was a blur for me at the time, right? Because I'm only 11. Yeah. Uh, actually, that night that it happened, uh, the the cops and helicopter and dogs and all of that came to our house, and I'm I'm sitting in the in the back seat of my car, uh, about to go putt putt, and uh, and I was you know excited, and then that just you know happened, and I think that. I think that was a big, um, I want to say that was, that was probably the first blessing of my life is, is that because, um, I say now to this day, um, uh, me and my brother are like best friends now. We talk almost every single day. Actually, I, mm -hmm. I think he just called me. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'll, I'll get there. Um, because it, it made my family realize how our, society and our country has been set up um, and that they can't take you know anything for granted and that's really what pushed them to start to protect me so mm -hmm. I didn't go down that same path I didn't make those same mistakes right yeah so if anything I, I always tell my brother like you know he was a sacrifice um, in 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 that sense right going to prison but now he's thriving and and just as a sh inspiration in prison mm. um but yeah so that that happened when i was 11 and and since then right around then we moved to another neighborhood you know i had kind of lost a lot of my friendships um i was a really smart kid i was a major work in cleveland public schools so went to an all gifted school in cleveland public schools um ran track, uh, loved running. My sister went to Collinwood and uh, my sister Lucia went to Collinwood and graduated uh, valedictorian and president of her class and mm -hmm. was on, you know, three-time state champion track team. So I would, I would go to her school and like run track with her team, right? Yeah. And they would call me King Bebe um, <laughs> because I, cause I was bad and my sisters loved me and they let me do whatever I wanted to do because I was John, right? And I was their little brother, as I'm sure anybody with a little brother knows. Um, 
And, you know, I would bite people and I'd bite her boyfriends because that's what I did for some reason. Um, and and as I it got older and older, obviously become more and more of a of a teenager and a boy. Uh, I started I started actually. I I did a lot of sports, but I I guess the biggest the biggest point of that this the phase that phase of my life was I was just I was I was a little lost um, and a little angry. I was definitely an angry kid because um, I didn't know who I was. You know, I didn't know my I didn't know my father. I felt like I was a mistake. I felt like I was like sometimes I doubted if I was even like. Um, supposed to be in this family, right? I had a different father than than my brothers and my sisters, and you know, was I adopted? And I, mean, I was just, I guess, I was angry because I just I had a void in my in my heart that mm. my sister and my mom couldn't fill. You know, um, they couldn't fill that void because it, it was a void made by you know a man or a masculine energy or whatever that was. So I was always mm. seeking. Um, acceptance when I was in that that phase of my life right um, I wanted to be good at academics I wanted to be you know smart I wanted to get good grades I wanted to win at sports right I, I ran cross country I ran track I wrestled right so I was always doing something and whatever I did I wanted to be the best at it because I wanted to be accepted mm. right um, because I just felt like I felt like I was abandoned, you know. Even though I never knew knew my father, I still don't know him to this day. Um, I always felt abandoned, you know. My sisters loved me deeply; they gave me everything. I was spoiled rotten, right? My mom is the epitome of like unconditional love. She's an angel, but I always—it was never enough, right? Mm. And so throughout high school, I got in a lot of fights. I was. I was bad, I was angry, I would talk back to the teachers. I went to all boys Catholic high school because mm. my sisters didn't want me to go to the Cleveland Public School that I was supposed to go to because it was filled with uh, girls, first and foremost. Uh, <laughs> they didn't want me to get a girl pregnant for some reason and, and also it was just, you know, Cleveland Public Schools weren't, aren't the greatest. Mm -hmm. um, and they didn't want me. I'm sure a lot of my brother's situation, you know, drove that. So they they paid for me to go to private school, mm -hmm. um, which was another blessing um, because that that set me up for um, that that set me apart again, right? As a as a black male, yeah, um, in a, in in society. So now I'm you know I got into the school, you know, tested in. Um, you know, good at sports, you know, all of that. But I would talk back to the monks, hmm. you know, the priests that would teach a class. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I literally like cussed them out because I'm I just didn't agree with what they said. And yeah. you know, once again, my outlier uh, coming coming out. Uh, it's just if somebody said something I just thought wasn't right, I just I couldn't just conform to accepting it. Mm -hmm. So I'd always speak my mind, and my sister just told me, I remember this really vividly, kind of like the Zach Ferris quote um, earlier. Uh, she's like, you know, you don't always have to argue with people. Like, pick your battles. Pick when you're going to argue. And mm -hmm. in this situation, you're not going to win. You're never going to win over the teacher, right. when, especially when you're arguing with them that way. Right. Um, 
And it's funny because now I, I kind of, I tell her the same thing. I'm like, pick your battles, Lucia. Uh, <laughs> stop, stop arguing with people. <laughs> um, so, so yeah. And that's, that's a seven-year age difference between? Seven years between me and my one. brother. Oh, okay. And then okay. Um, Lucia, uh, my brother Antonio um, is, is seven years older than me, um, 30, 39 now. Um, Lucia is uh, 40, and um, Amelia is 42. Okay. Yeah. All right. So yeah. the girls were the were the oldest. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. They were the, they were the oldest. Okay. And, and kind of were the younger brothers. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, so yeah. So so high school went through that. Uh, got decent grades. You know, was an athlete and um, and you know got up just just wanted to be out and meeting people. So. Uh, in high school, I, th- I guess the biggest thing for me was just um, dealing with a lot of my anger, right? Um, I got some great coaches that helped me through that in wrestling. Mm. Coach Al, Coach Lev, um, Coach Langjar um, that really cared about me, right? And they were also men that cared about me, right? So they were able to mentor me a little mm-hmm. um, as a man, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I was able to like kind of deal with some of that anger, right, through sports mm-hmm. um, and and with them. And you know, long story short, that's when I, you know, started to pursue what I was gonna do with my life and you know, architecture and all of that. And yeah. and uh, and I decided to to go into architecture. Um, and when I graduated high school, you know, I I I had I want to say filtered so many of my relationships that I had developed over that time of, of just not wanting to just, I was no longer seeking to be accepted, right? And kind of wanting to be in this group and this group and this group, right? And just be accepted by everybody. Actually, there was that moment right in my senior year that I flipped and I was like, you know what? Like, I don't need to be accepted by these people. As I started to understand myself more, I, I realized that a lot of that was fake. A lot of that was wasn't real. Like nobody, they didn't care about me. I really didn't care about them. So, mm-hmm. you know, why waste my time trying to be accepted by them? What flipped it? What well, was there something that happened that um, served as a I think it, agent? You know, in high school, we we would party on the weekends, and mm-hmm. you know, we go to sporting events and all of that stuff. And and I think. I think I realized um, as we started to think about where we were going to go in our next phase of life, you know, that happens in senior year, mm-hmm. um, people start to show their true colors. I mean, I think as a high school boy, right, you, you start to understand yourself a little better. So everybody starts to actually understand themselves, mm-hmm. which makes them start to approach relationships a little differently, right? And I think I was starting to under my, understand myself. They were starting to understand their self. And, and I realized, um, we all realized, like, really, like, who's, who's, a, who's a friend, who's not. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and I decided to, uh, that I had a few really, really close friends. And that was, like, my first time of filtering. Mm. Right? And that was an incredible time to filter because then you go into college. Right? And I went to college, and there was only two, maybe two, maybe three guys from my high school that went to the same college as me, mm-hmm. which was a whole new world, right? Yeah. All boys Catholic high school. Yeah. 
all boys, right? To mm-hmm. then public state school, right? Yeah. And I went into a co-ed dormitory, right? Right. So like my world was flipped upside down, right. and I was a new person, yeah. right? And that yeah. was that was like the next phase of my life. Yeah. 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 Uh, so let's talk about more about your relationship with your brother. Can you can you expand on just what what that looks like today and um, how it influences you and yeah. your your journey? Yeah. So my my brother is uh, my best friend. Um, he's like my best friend and and probably my biggest inspiration in life. Mm-hmm. Uh, Antonio has been in prison since he was seventeen. Um, that's just going on just a little over twenty years now. Um, of being in prison and over the time as I was trying to find myself you know it was it's it's part of our life now as a family actually is this prison because he's been there since you know mm-hmm. for 20 years yeah. so we would go and visit him right when I was a kid it was it was a burden to go into the prison and visit you know Antonio who I really didn't know when I was a kid yeah right because we didn't have a really close loving relationship he was the big brother i was a little brother right he's like he's like get out of here yeah john you're annoying me type of thing um and he'd be in the streets all the time and and i'd be not um and so over time you know i'd visit visit and then really i don't think our relationship started to evolve until um the end of my college uh, my life in college um where i would go and visit him on my own and then when I moved to Phoenix, where I actually started to find myself, right, because I was no longer being influenced by a lot of the things in Cleveland that mm-hmm. tend to happen, right, big, another big filtering moment. And, and we started talking a lot more often on the phone, mm-hmm. right? And we started to, he started to, I think, started to switch his mindset also um, early on in his, in his um, time in prison he was more angry than I think um, he was peaceful, right? Um, so that anger led to a lot of, you know, a lot of fights, a lot of, you know, lashing out. Just, just you know, when you're angry, you don't want to really talk to people, mm-hmm. right? So he didn't reach out as much. Um, and I think he reached a point where he was starting to transition his understanding of of who he was, right? You know, we went on that same journey of being fatherless youth, right? Mm-hmm. And um, he started to come out of that anger, started to fill his his anger with with something of a more, um, I guess, true identity or true purpose. So um, started to forgive people. Um, he started to engage with a more loving heart and. Um, I think he started to get more active inside prison rather than just trying to survive. Like he actually started to thrive and actually and give him his time and go mm-hmm. to class, start school, right? All yeah. of these things. And, yeah. and it's funny because as he was doing this, you know, I didn't know he was doing this because I had my own life to live outside, right? Yeah. And, and we ended up kind of coming together at the same time of I'm going to Phoenix to find myself and he's finding himself and we started to just talk more. And we just got on the same wavelength and started to be able to actually be brothers, right? Um, and not be older brother, little brother. It was like, we're just brothers and mm-hmm. we're learning together, right? Mm-hmm. 
So, you know, he went through a journey of, you know, being, you know, in Islam and, and um, you know, being in this and trying this. And he was mm-hmm. trying all these things that end up, you know, you start to try out when you're, you're finding yourself. And, you know, I was doing some personal growth at the time, mm-hmm. um, you know, it was kind of seminars and really trying to find myself. And mm-hmm. I was, he, he'll send me things to read and I take in whatever I want and I spit out other stuff like mm-hmm. that. All right, Antonio, don't, show, don't send me that stuff. Um, <laughs> but uh, over time, we really started growing closer and closer and closer. And um, he really started to just, I, I could see him shift of, it was no longer about him, it was about us, right? Mm-hmm. So when we would talk on the phone, he would never talk about what was going on in prison. Never. Like, he would always want to know what, what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Like, how are you? What did you do today? Um, you know, what was the what were, what were the... Um, the big takeaways were, you know, like, how's your week? How's Sarah? Right. How's so and like, he would always know what I was doing when I did my startup. Like, how's it going? You know, like he would, he, he was so in sync with my life and sometimes even more in sync with my life than I was because Mm -hmm. like I, I now know like that was his way of, of getting out of prison. Right. He was like living through our family, you know? Um, and it was, it was a time of just, I want to say, it was a time of, of growth for me. And it was a time of growth for him because we were both finally starting to understand who we were, mm. right? Um, and we were no longer being victims of our childhood or the fact that we didn't know our father, right? Yeah. Like, as a lot of kids out there, I'm sure, like, when you don't know your father or you don't you didn't know one of your parents you carry that a lot and and you you're mad at it and you use it as a hindrance rather than as a as a um you know i want to say a a positive right um and we started to make that transition together and talking every day i would go home when i go back to cleveland i would visit him on my own and and now he's a priority like i literally block time in my schedule to talk to him every day right we're same time every day we're gonna talk we're gonna talk and i guess over that time as i started to understand who i was you know i go and i i i um i proposed to my wife sarah um as i started to understand once again like what it meant to be a man um me and him learning together what it means to be a man Mm -hmm. uh he had he was in a relationship with a, a a girl um on the outside that he was developing and, and, and leaning into as a as a man. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I proposed to my wife Sarah to flash forward a little bit, I was I was scared of commitment because no one in our family has ever been or really you know understood what it meant to be in a committed relationship. Um, I, w- I I realized I was terrified of commitment. So I would run from relationships. I would manipulate women to keep them, you know, get what I wanted, but also keep them at bay, right? So I was mm-hmm. never really diving wholly into a relationship. And I realized because I, I couldn't trust, you yeah. know? Yeah. So I finally, through some incredible mentors that, you know, men that helped me realize, like, you know, what it really does mean to be a man, um, I was able to kind of overcome that fear and I realized one day 
it was um, Valentine's Day in uh, 2015, uh, I realized that that all I wanted in the world, and a lot of people were talking about they wanted a boat and a, a jewelry or a vacation, and I couldn't think of any of it. But the one thing that popped in my mind was Sarah, right, who was, we just had gotten back together, and, you know, we had this on and off relationship for years, and and she was the one thing that popped in my head, and I was like, you know, I think I gotta marry her. So, so I went, I went and um, bought a ring, mm-hmm. called her dad, called her mom, called my mom, called my sisters, and I proposed four hours later after I wow. had that idea. Wow. Yeah. As you, wow. You kind of see idea, a trend in my life, idea right? Idea to, to drop into a knee in four hours? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Did you, impressive. But it's like, that's, that's how I've, I've lived my life is like, Mm. When I feel something so powerfully, mm. it's like I gotta act on it. Mm-hmm. Right? Same going to architecture school. Yeah. Right. Um, when I moved to Phoenix, I gave my family two weeks' notice after I graduated college. I was like, I gotta go. Yeah. You know. So where does that come from, though? I mean, so that you've got a, a high sense of conviction in yourself, right? Because I think when you that's one of the biggest leaps you're going to take in life proposing for anybody let alone yeah somebody who who has uh trust challenges and um you know hasn't seen uh relationships work in a in a traditional sense so kind of putting yourself into that mindset uh is hard without all those barriers that you face so where does this internal drive this internal confidence where does all that come from because it sounds like somewhere in the journey in high school or around high school you're trying to figure that out you didn't have it and then you said something happened right around your senior year where you shifted you weren't seeking acceptance you had internal belief yeah so can you just riff on Mm. that a little bit like where can you define what it is personally well i can define it now um i don't know if i could define it back then Mm -hmm. right uh if i if i define it now it's it's this i'm fearless right like i don't fear many things anymore why um for me now, you know, I I now have a relationship with Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. right? Like that's that's it, purely, um, and that's that's been part of my journey. Is I've never had a father, I never had a man to to teach me what it meant to be the rock of a home or be the 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 partner to a woman, right? Or I never knew what it meant to be a um, a good man, right? I never even met one, really. Because even some of my mentors, I never really knew what their relationship was like, Mm. right? So for me on that journey, I started to understand and piecemeal kind of this image of what it meant to be a good man, Mm -hmm. right? And I was trying to find it internally. And it just, it took a long time, right? It took a lot of 
lot of failures, a lot of bumps, heads, and bruises, and black eyes, and mm-hmm. and sleepless nights, and failed relationships, and failed friendships, right? Like, it took so much to ultimately get to this point, you know, moving to Phoenix and being kind of on my own, mm-hmm. right, for the first time, where I didn't have to, you know, be there for my family um, and be the glue that kind of held them together, right? I was a young, I was always kind of trying to bring them together because, like, hey, you should talk, come together, right? They right. had they had kids of their own, my nieces and nephews, right? And I was trying to be there for, but I, I yet to find myself, mm-hmm. right? So as I went through college and and high school and all of that, I was I was still trying to find myself, but where I can I can really I think where I really started to find gain awareness around who I was was when I was in Phoenix and I realized for the first time that my that hole of my identity was because of my lack of having a father before I never I never confronted it I was like so oh you acknowledged it there. I acknowledged it for yeah. the first time yeah right and it was and it was at a personal growth seminar where they did an exercise of all right now talk to your mother right what is what do you want her to know right like you know what do you want to say to her you know what do you see all of these things and then they said all right talk to your father and i'm like uh i don't know who my father is right i don't even have a name for him yeah right yeah so it was like a it was like a silhouette right it mm. was empty and i was like Okay, there's there's a void there, right? It was the first time that that ever I ever thought about it because I would I would avoid it. Yeah. Right? I was like, I'm good. I don't need to know my father. I don't want to know my father. Yeah. Right? So as I started to confront it and that's why me and my brother were on the same path because he was starting to confront it also. Mm-hmm. Um and as I started to confront it, I started to just address it head on. Right? And God gave me this incredible fearlessness of trying things just because I, all right, go to Phoenix, all right, great. Pack up my car, I have $900, I don't have a job, I'll make, I'll be all right. Yeah. Um, because I, I had this innate, like, I don't know, it was, it was instinctual that everything was going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, I'll, I'll, I'll figure it out. Like, it's cool. Um, so when I got to uh, when I got to that point of starting to address my father wound um, that I realized it was, I actually started to under- look and seek what it meant to be a man, what it meant to be a father, mm-hmm. right? Um, that's what led to me understanding my commitment issues and not really knowing what it meant to be a man to a woman, mm-hmm. right? Um, that's when I you know, committed to my wife. And all of that, those fearless acts, I still think happened before I realized that I was like fearless, mm-hmm. right? Or realized that I was on a journey to actually finally fill that hole in my life. And that was when I got married and Sarah brought so much peace to my life because I was constantly searching for these things. I was still searching for acceptance, but it was more so like around women and, mm-hmm. and success with my startup and, you know, be, making enough money and, you know, all of these things. But when I, when I finally committed to Sarah, she brought so much peace to my life because 
I was good, mm -hmm. right? I, I had my partner, I had my family, right? My wife. Mm -hmm. And that piece of acceptance, right, of having my wife, and she said yes, right? That piece allowed me to really see clearly for the first time, mm -hmm. I think. Right, mm -hmm. and I always tell her. I said, I and I tell people this day, like God led me to Sarah, to find Him, because that peace that she created in my life and that we created together in our life, led me to actually really start to hone in on, a calling that God has been having me, like, that been, He's been calling me for my whole life, mm -hmm. but I was I wasn't listening. I was running from it. I was avoiding it with all of these distractions. Yeah. Right. I feel like a lot of people have. Yeah. Um, and I ultimately realized that I wasn't the only one in the world that was fatherless. I also went to this man camp with a church that I started to invo um, get involved in and it was man camp. And there was a room filled with over 200 different guys of all different generations um, and the, the, the guy who was, who was preaching at the time, you know, asked the room, he was talking about his, his father wounds because he didn't know his father, which once again, like it's a very typical thing for black men in America. Mm -hmm. And he's like, who, who in the room has never had a father or has never had a male role model in their life? And literally like 80% of the room raised wow. their hand, including myself. Right. And I look around and I realize for the once again, I think for the first time that I wasn't alone, right? I wasn't alone and the only one that's carrying this wound of trying to be a man, not really knowing what it was, trying to be successful, trying to, you know what I mean? All mm -hmm. of these things. And, and it was so beautiful because right after that, you know, I, I, you know, they started playing music and, you know, I, I just, I was, I was over it. I was literally over it and I was over carrying the world on my shoulders and trying to be this person that I really didn't know what it was, you know, like I was trying so hard and I, I fell to my knees and I just started, started bawling because I just felt this heaviness that, that I was, I was done carrying. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and it was at that moment that, that I heard like this voice and it's part of, once again, the name of small studio, but I heard this small voice in my head um, that said, I, I got this son. And, and I don't know what it was, but I just, I just felt this incredible weight come off my shoulders. Mm. Like for the first time in my whole life, I heard words that I never heard in my life before, which is, I got this son. No man has ever said that to me. No female has ever said that to me, you know, and and that was it. As that was when I was like, all right, all right, you got this, all right? Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not gonna try to make anything happen anymore because that's what my whole life was, was I'm just gonna try to, I'm gonna try to be an architect. I'm gonna try to be a good brother. I'm gonna try to be a good man. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna try to be, you know, a good friend. I'm gonna, I'm going to try to be, you know, all of these. I'm going to try to be successful, right? I'm going to try to be an entrepreneur. But ultimately, what I finally realized is that, like, you know, I've always had a father, and he's looking out for me, and all I can do is just do my best, 
and be present and love people and 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 listen to him and ask him for guidance and that's where that's where I am now is all I do is just love people and serve people and and just be um be be who he made me to be right which is John so how so I'm curious about this there there was a there was a shift and when you the way that you articulated it was that you know you were trying to to do everything try to be everything and then there is a shift um but you're still you're you're still fearless right so how how do those two worlds intersect mm. between the guy that's fearless that will decide I'm gonna propose and I go and get a ring and I, I make you know a bunch of phone calls and I drop to an E in four hours. can you can you how do those two yeah. worlds yeah, no, intersect and how do you make decisions through that lens of I got this, John? Yeah. That's a great question. Um, I think simply put, before it was me doing it with all of my own strength and all of my own knowledge and all of my you know own might, mm-hmm. right? Once again, that carrying everything on my shoulders, mm-hmm. right? So even when I went to propose to Sarah, like I was doing it all with with like okay. I gotta do it. I gotta do it right. I gotta get the right ring. I, I want to make sure I call everybody. Mm-hmm. And okay, let me make sure everything's. I'll try to do it perfect this way. And oh, how does society want me to do it? What's the what's the normal way of doing this? Right? Like, really, I guess it was all all on me, right? Like it was, it was all me trying to do that. Mm-hmm. Moving to Phoenix, like it was all me. Like, I'm gonna do this. I know how to do this, or I'm gonna try to do it architecture school it was all me i'm gonna i'm gonna figure this out mm-hmm. right no matter what okay uh, i'm not good enough and you know i was battling all of that by myself and then the opposite side of you know when i heard those words i got this son i was no longer alone right like i was no longer fighting and trying to to do all of these things that i you know, society and even just the odds would say that you're not supposed to be doing this. Mm-hmm. I was no longer doing it alone. Now I had my father mm-hmm. right next to me at mm-hmm. all times doing it with me. And I also was able to give it to him. Mm-hmm. So I no longer had to really do anything. I just, oh, yeah, should I? Okay, let's go. And yeah. so it was like, I'm, I'm still fearless fearless on both sides but one is like grinding yeah with my own power right which i thought was like all me like there was a point that i thought that i was god mm-hmm. right like yeah. everything i did you know the five percent or everything i did was that uh, was me thanks john good yeah. job pat on the back right yeah. so in my ego yeah to now it's not it's none of it's me mm-hmm. right when i impact somebody's life like like thank you, but that's not me. That's 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 my duty. That's my responsibility. And I'm just glad that God used me to be able to touch your life. Yeah, 
right? And that's yeah. where all the humility has come from. That's where my ego, I think at that moment, my ego died. And now I was able to actually just be used mm -hmm. to impact this world in the way that I knew I always wanted to, but now I actually had my father to do it with. Mm -hmm. So when you, when you reflect back to um, <clears throat> undergrad and masters, when you were the only African-American that finished undergrad, and I believe was the only one in the program, in the mm -hmm. master's program, do you think that mentality that you have now may, would have influenced your perspective then? Meaning, you know, um, meaning seeing yourself as um, unique versus seeing yourself as different, right? It's the same. All conditions are the same. Yeah. But when you view yourself um, through those two lens, th those two lenses, yeah. it kind of lends itself to different different behaviors or different activities. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on? Oh on man, you're spot on with this perspectives, man. Um, before, it was about me. I'm the only one, mm. right? I'm different. Nobody's like me, mm. right? Once again, it was all about me. And now it's, okay, there's a reason why I'm the only one. Like God chose me to be here to make an impact on so many people's lives because now I'm the one that had a brother that went to prison at 11, that grew up without a father, that was the first one in my family to ever leave Cleveland, first one in my family to get married, now running a branding studio and, you know, in Seattle trying to fill this gap of, of social entrepreneurship and, and grassroots entrepreneurship, right, in this city. Yeah. Now I realize that God's using me to do all of that, mm -hmm. to not for me, not for my own ego or success, right, but for all the people that it could be serving, right? So that's why I'm so um, honored to, you know, you asked me to share my story here because it's not about me sharing my story and the people hearing my story. It's about the people that my story will impact, right? right? Of saying, yeah, if you don't have a father, it's okay, right? Because right. you actually do, right? It's up to you if you want to actually realize it or get out of all of that, that stuff right. that we try to carry. Because I've been right. there, right? you know what I mean? Right. If you have a brother that went to prison, it's okay. Yeah. Right. If you grew up in the hood, it's okay. Yeah. Right. If you're only if you're different than all your peers, it's okay. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's what I feel like. That's the biggest trend of my life right now is is knowing that it's never about me. It's always about the people that I may be impacting at this literally this second or this moment, being present with people in person. Right. Um, sharing my story. You know, just being a light and being bright and being, you know, a positive impact on a person that I cross the street mm -hmm. when they're want to make eye contact with me or ask me for money, like saying, you know, at least making eye contact with them if that's all I can do. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's the biggest shift is before it was about me always. 
And I think that's that's a lot of people's stories now, right? It was mm-hmm. all about me and my mm-hmm. ego. Mm-hmm. Now it's literally, I do my best as a, as a human to not make it about me yeah. ever. All right. So coming on the heels of what you just said there, it's all about me and these barriers that I, that I, um, these very real barriers. Mm-hmm. Um, and overcoming those barriers, you know, whether it's uh, something very real like not growing up with a father, that's a very real barrier. Yeah. I think there are people who are out there that have barriers that, um, are sometimes very tangible and real, like what you faced and have overcome in multiple scenarios throughout life. Um, having a brother who's in prison, you know, remembering that moment when when it happened, coming to the realization that, uh, you know, you, you harness more control and more power in your life than, than you realized. Uh, just, I, I think you are somebody who has overcome so many barriers and has shifted in a way to view your um your life as a conduit of inspiration right yeah so if there's somebody who's listening right now who's got a big barrier like you faced or just a small barrier but it's a barrier regardless of what that barrier looks like they can't take a step to get to the second step, let alone to where they want to be. And maybe they don't even know where they want to be. They just mm-hmm. can't even take that step. So for, for somebody like that, just hitting these barriers, how do you, what, what would you say to that person, you know, to reflect back on your journey and whether it was something internal or it was something very real, um, you know, how do you encapsulate all that breaking down barriers to somebody who's trying to take step number one? Yeah, that's a that's a tough question, man. Um, I think first and foremost, I always tell people just to find find the little glimmer of light around them, because a lot of time I find that. And a lot of times in my in my life, you know, isolation is the the easiest answer to pain and to anger and to you know just any bad thing in your life. You're just like, all right, I'm I'm gonna just retreat to myself and just be alone because um, I feel like a lot of times, and I did this, you blame other people for your pain or your hurt. Like I did my brother. Or my, I, I, I did blame my brother, my, my mom, or my father. That I didn't even know. Mm-hmm. And as I talked through my story, a lot of that was forgiveness that led to us, you know, being able to overcome that. So I'd say first, first and foremost, find that little glimmer of light, whether it is it's in a person or it's in an animal or it's in, you know, uh, a hobby or, you know, whatever it is, just find that little glimmer of light um, because it's it's never it's never the end right like it's never going to be the end and we can make it seem like it's going to be the end 
we can make it seem like this is going to be what our reality is for the rest of our lives Mm -hmm. really quickly as human beings, Mm -hmm. right? But as long as we stay focused on the positive, as long as we stay focused on if there is any even inkling of positivity, then I feel like God will lead us out of that, Mm -hmm. right? Even if you have a relationship with, with God or, you know, a spiritual presence or whatever you believe in, if you don't, um, there's always just look to the light, right? And that's why I always tell a lot of my friends that have come to me in some very dark moments um, is just, all right, where's the light? Um, because then you can start taking steps forward, mm-hmm. right? And sometimes also a lot of, in a lot of my stories, if I relate it specifically to my story, it's very important to, to switch out of the darkness and that's a big change in life, right? So my fearlessness you could say that it's fearlessness or you could just say that I'm, I'm a risk taker, right? It's both, both things, reality, um, mm-hmm. it's the same definition, but I, I moved from Cleveland to Phoenix. It's a big shift. That's a big filter. Phoenix to Seattle, mm-hmm. getting married, right? Um, going to grad school, getting two master's degrees at the same time. These are, these are shifts beyond normal, right? Um, shifts beyond my normal in my life. So I would ask, tell those people what what am I doing that what could I do that's not the typical next step right Mm -hmm. because I feel like sometimes we get so caught up in conformity and societal norms that we just well I'm supposed to do this next I'm supposed to be you know we're supposed to move in together first Mm -hmm. or we're supposed to date for a couple years like you know what I mean like there's all these things that society has told us that we're supposed to do next but in reality, you're not. You don't have to do anything. That there is no set plan for your next second, right? So if you and usually you've already had that thought in your head, right? You just have said like, no, that's crazy, mm-hmm. or that's gonna be too hard, right. or that's um, that's fear. That's fear. <laughs> that's fear. That's I'm I'm afraid. Yeah. Right. Like that. You know, fear. Fear yeah. is one of the most driving forces in this world opposite of love Mm. right is fear and i feel like most of us wallow in that fear rather than actually moving into like that next step the light or moving into love Mm. right and that love is that for me is that risk taker of i'm not going to conform to societal norms i'm gonna do my best not to right i'm gonna do what i feel called to do so when i propose to sarah I just, I felt called to do it. And Mm -hmm. now, because I have a relationship with God, I'm able to listen much better than I used to, right? Now, when I'm in a dark place, or, you know, yesterday, one of my, one of my clients, her, her, her father passed away in a motorcycle accident. And, and I never had that experience before with a client. And I just like, you know, God, what do you want me to know about this? And he gave me literally a, a, a tagline that I came up f- for her. I came up with for her during our branding process. Mm-hmm. And I was able to reuse it in a letter, a little card that we made for her mm-hmm. to, you know, just yeah. give her as a gift. And it was so much more present now and, and real now than it was back then. Yeah. And it's just because, once again, I went back to, the, to, that, to my father, Yeah. right? So I, I guess to wrap that all up, if, 
if you ever feel like it's too much or there's no next step, I think it's important first to pause, right, and listen. Um, you can always ask questions, right? Um, but just look for that little glimmer of light and then wherever that light is, you may not think it's the right step. You may not think it's supposed to happen that way or, you know, people were going to judge you or, you know, people aren't going to like you for it or whatever it is. Like at the end of the day, like you have a purpose and you're here for a reason and it's not about you sometimes at that moment like it's literally it's not about you at that moment mm -hmm. it's about who are you right there for mm -hmm. and who could you impact who could you serve at that moment right. right and we get so caught up in our in ourself and wallowing in our our shame and our fear and our our doubt and yeah. you know our anxiety and instead like once we get out of our own mind and start to think about how can we love somebody else Literally, we, we come right out of that. It's happened to me so many times. Mm -hmm. And that's why I feel so blessed because I, I have so much peace now. Because it's no longer about me. You know, it's, it's yeah. about everybody else. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I mean, it shines through. I mean, it totally shines through. Um, all right. This is uh, incredible, John. I mean, it's so incredible. Uh, so let's just wrap up with um let's go back to the start so let's wrap up with small studio uh million cups and seed spot can you talk about uh where people can find you and let's definitely talk about seed spot uh and how how any lessers can get engaged with with uh, the upcoming workshop yeah um i guess yeah. Well, first and foremost, uh, you know, me as an identity architect, you know, small studio um, is is my my main focus mm -hmm. um, outside of being a husband to my lovely wife Sarah. Mm -hmm. Love you, baby. Um, and that's where I spend a lot of my time, right? So, you know, if you need any branding or um, software design help mm -hmm. and want to work with us, you know, you can find us at asmallstudio.co. Mm -hmm. um, and from there, and One Million Cups, I'm there every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Uh, we've been meeting here at Atlas Workbase um, for the last year. Mm -hmm. And actually, next Wednesday will be our, our well, Wednesday, uh, what is that, May 29th, I think? No, May, yeah, I think it's May 29th yeah. uh, will be our last one at Atlas Workbase. And then we're going to be moving over to the collective mm -hmm. um, for the foreseeable future mm -hmm. um, and we'll be meeting every Wednesday at 9 a.m. for any entrepreneur that that has a, a business that's early stage in their business and they want to share their story mm -hmm. um, you can find us at one million cups one million cups dot com um, slash Seattle mm -hmm. uh, we're looking for applications um, we need to fill that pipeline right um, so that's that's every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Uh, same time put it on your calendar and and finally, uh, SeedSpot, their two-day launch camp, uh, is going to be July 19th and 20th. And that's for any impact-driven entrepreneur that has an idea or even has an already existing business but still needs help and, and guidance on that. Um, it will be a full curriculum of helping them through their business um, and surrounding them with mentors and the community that cares 
Um, I'll be facilitating that and like teaching that course. Mm-hmm. And then it all wraps up with a, a pitch night um, where we're gonna have the community come out and support support them. So that will be on um, July 19th and um, the pitch night will be on July 20th. And that will actually um, uh, uh, be open remote enrollment right now. So um, that one is, the, the URL is a little a little harder. So go to Seedspot. Um, seedspot.org, mm-hmm. and you'll find you'll find the Seattle community if you want to enroll um, or if you want to be a mentor. Um, just reach out to me. Um, uh, my email is John at a small studio.co. Okay. Yeah. All right, John. Hey. Thanks for sharing your story, man. Thanks. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, brother. This was great. I appreciate it.